Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. I'm excited to share out of the book of Joshua as we continue our series on new territory and are really in a season of expectation as a church. And I want to encourage you, man, now is a great time to invite that friend that you've been thinking of because we are going to just be in a season of encouragement. Man, even Father's Day, we met as a team about Father's Day. And I got to say, I'm really excited. How many of you are thankful for, for fathers? Or a church is very thankful for men. I know it's not a cultural norm right now, apparently, for some reason, but we're thankful. Thank you for being men. (laughs) Thank you for being who God made you to be, and uh, we love you. We value you. We're thankful for you. Uh, The world is is better when men are being men and walking out biblical masculinity. We're thankful for that. But I'm going to jump into Joshua. If you brought your Bible, go to Joshua chapter 3, and we're just going to get rolling this morning. If you didn't know, I we had our third baby just a little while ago, and uh, six six weeks, six weeks, yeah, seven. I don't know. It's all a blur. Could have been eight years ago. I don't know. My yeah, my daughter. Yeah, I guess eight years ago. My daughter is going into fourth grade. That's that was a weird feeling. Um, but yeah, so we. It's interesting with the third kid. You definitely prepare less than the first kid. I'm just being honest. He goes back and he finds us in the sermon archive. You know, he might feel bad. But like, we were like a solid two weeks out. We're like, we should probably put that crib together. Your first baby though, right? The first baby, first parents, you guys are hilarious. I love watching first parents, especially if they were people who were like young adults when I had kids, right? They were like, why are you guys like this? Why, aren't, why can't you just come out all the time? And then I don't see you for like eight months, right? Because <laughs> the first kid takes so much preparation. Because in your mind, you're like, I have no idea what to expect. Thankfully, we don't have that culture. They just line up. They're in a posse. Clarissa's back there. She's going to have the kid. And then, then you get to have your stroller here. Mike, Mike and Heather are here. Oh, my gosh. The baby Zoe. Oh, my gosh. Adorable. See, it's just, it grows, the posse ever larger. Um, but our first baby, I just remember all the preparation. And I learned, because I'm really into construction, and I didn't know what nesting was. And so just to give you of how poorly I operated as a husband for our first kid, like a week before our baby was due, we lived in a 1920s house in a part of town. Yep. And, uh, and... And it had what I would consider eight to 25 layers of wallpaper in that home. They've been wallpapering since wallpaper was invented. And one day I was like, you know what? We got to get this house ready. I'm going to spritz this wall down, get this wallpaper off of here. So as I pull, it all comes in like one orange peel of doom and just falls down. And as that happens, my wife waddles up the stairs that I think were to keep the population density low because they are so dangerous. She gets up these stairs and she looks and I see her eyes and she sees my eyes and then the whole wall of wallpaper just into what I found out later was supposed to be the nursery. And of course, she cried and I felt bad. And I realized there was a lot of preparation. There was a lot of getting ready that needed to happen. And so immediately I go into this mode of like, get everything prepped, get everything ready, painting and doing all that, you know, where you work all day, then you come home and you work all night because you got to get it like looking good and you got to get the right color and you got to get the crib and you got to get the changing table. And then the little important um, 
container for the diapers that always gets full in like four diapers. I don't know how it happens, right? Then you got to get all the toys and the clothes and all these kind of things. Then apparently there's bags you have to take to the hospital because you got to be ready to go to the hospital because apparently it's 1950 and they don't have food other than in your home. And so you go to the hospital and you have your go bag and then your go back bag and then the thing. And I was like, man, this is way more preparation than I thought a baby could possibly have needed. But I enjoyed it because when you know something good is coming, it's not a burden to prepare for it. When you know something good is coming, you're like, you know what? I want to be prepared because I don't want to miss it, right? Third baby, I was like, eh, we'll figure it out. But first baby, I was like, something good's coming. Like, I don't want to miss it. I want to be prepared. And we do that all throughout life, right? Like we, for a baby, you prepare your home. You got the little, you know, foam noodle bumpers and all that when they start walking, because walking is great. You're in anticipation of a good thing that's going to happen. And, and whether you have a baby or not, your, your life is full of prep, right? Maybe you're prepping to send your kid to kindergarten, right? Maybe you're prepping for a new job or a job interview, right? You're trying to get ready uh, for something good or the possibility of something good. Maybe you're going to go on vacation. And even if you're the late prepper, where my late preppers at for vacation, you know what's up, day of, you're packing, uh, <laughs> you still have to do some kind of preparation, right? <laughs> I love that about couples, that literally there's an early prepper and a late prepper in every relationship. I've never made a, met a couple with two early preppers. There's either the person who's like been packed for six weeks and is already looking at property there. And then there's the person who has literally doesn't even know where their socks are. And I'm the socks guy right here. But you're preparing. A lot of life is preparing. Maybe some of you prepared when you moved here, right? There was a preparation for when you were getting ready to move into the valley. And that's a lot of life. We prepare for good things. But oftentimes I wonder how much time do we spend preparing for the things of God? That if God promised good things, and if God promised a, a move and, and, and a stirring by his spirit and everything that scripture said, for not only for you individually, but for his church, I think the question is, do we need to prepare for those? That it's not just about experiencing them, it's preparing for them. It's preparing for the things of God. And so I prepared for the good things of fatherhood, but the question is, am I preparing for the good things of God? I want to talk about that a little bit today out of Joshua chapter 3. We're going to stay right in verses 1 through 5, but I want to read them in the entirety to you this morning. Joshua 3, 1 says this. It says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. It says, At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, between you and the Ark, about 2,000 cubits in length. And he says, do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Has anyone ever 
knew that, that a trip was upcoming tomorrow and had the most impossible time sleeping today, right? I remember as a kid, I was going to Tokyo, and in my, in my mind, I was like, okay, I got to go to bed because I got to wake up so early to catch a flight. And if you've ever flown, you know that's the night you never sleep, right? You're like, I have to go to bed. I got to get to bed early so I can get up. And then you end up just staying up thinking about old Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reruns, right? It's like, why am I thinking about this? I, I don't need to worry about it, but your mind goes. Or maybe your mind's just in anticipation, for the trip. I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder what it's going to be like. I wonder what it's going to look like. And I remember waking up being like, all right, it's time. Let's go. I'm ready. But also being like a little scared, right? It's like, I'm excited, but I was going by my, you know, I was going with uh, my, my class. I was a student and I was like, okay, I'm a little nervous about what it's going to be like. I don't speak Japanese. I don't read Japanese. Um, so we'll see what happens. I think Israel's in that same posture. They're camped out at the edge of the Jordan, and the people are kind of in that space wondering when. They've been there for three days. When? When are we going to cross? When is it going to happen? When are we finally going to be able to go into the promise? We've already been told we're going in. When are we finally going in? And this is God saying, okay, get ready, because it's time to go in. And he says, follow the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, for those who, who don't know, was this special... Uh, ark, you know, the, the big box with all of these uh, specifications that God had made and it was filled with some important icons, important things that had happened uh, through their time in the desert. And the ark, most importantly, was the resting place of God's presence. And so when they would carry the ark, they're really saying like, God is going before us. God is with us. When the ark was in the temple, they're like, God's presence is with us. When the ark was taken away, they'd be like, God's presence is not with us. But the ark was this important representation. Not only was it a dwelling place, but it was the covenant of God's people. And so when he's saying, listen, follow the ark, they're saying, follow God, essentially. Follow God. Where the ark's going, God's directing. Follow God. Follow his presence. And he says, so that you may know the way. Look at verse 4, if you have your Bible. It says, don't come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go. Look at that again. Don't come near it. Follow it from a distance so you can see it, so everyone can see it, so that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. That's a really theologically rich sentence. Because he says, you need to know the way to go. Two words there, know and the way. Right? They, they don't know, which seems obvious, where they're going physically. This generation has grown up in the desert. Right? They've grown up in the wilderness. They, they literally, functionally have no idea where they're going. Like, they know promised land. They know regions. And they've spied out a little bit. But they don't necessarily know, like... Okay, how is it all going, right? How we're dividing the tribes, how we're going to this space. Like, what do we take first? How do we operate? And God's saying, listen, I'm going to show you, but I think what's important to recognize in these first three chapters of Joshua, and I hope you're seeing, is that as God's leading, his direction first and foremost is spiritual before it's physical, military, operational. He's going to give them some military direction in the book of Joshua. But first, he's starting out with something spiritual. And he says to them, in order that you know the way, for you have not passed this way or you have not gone this way before. 
See, this is something more than a physical call because that's profoundly obvious. You haven't gone this way. Like, yeah, we, we get it. But there's actually something deeper that's happening where God is calling Israel not just to a, a posture physically as they're following, but a posture spiritually of a life, a lifestyle of obedience. God's saying, listen, you've not lived this way. You've not lived in the promised land. You've not followed me well for a long period of time. And I need to show you the way. See, God is more than a map. He's a way of life. He's saying, listen, follow my presence. The Pentateuch has 18 references of right living. All right, the, the old books and the books of the law have 18 references of the, of the word way, and they all are concerned with right living. When he's saying you need to know the way, he's saying you need to know the right way to live, not just what trail to follow. Exodus 18.20 says, You shall warn them about the statutes and the laws. And make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Is he talking about a trail? Is he talking about a specific crossing? Or is he talking about a way of life? He's talking about a way of life. Joshua says, follow the ark of the God. Follow the ark. Follow God. Follow his presence. Because it's not just a way to go. It's a way to live. Are you with me? Jesus in John 14, 6 says, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ, whom is the way. See, Jesus was not just a teacher. He's not just road mapping it out for us to follow. He is literally the way in which we walk. He says, you've not gone this way. You've not lived this way. You lived as enemies to God according to sin, according to the fleshly desires. And he's saying, but if you want to walk into eternity in relationship with the Father, you need to follow not a trail, but an entire life model of the way to live to be a disciple. I heard it very beautifully explained this way. And if you ever heard something, you're like, I wish I had, I wish I had written that, right? You hear a song, you're like, oh man, I wish I had, as a songwriter, I'm like, man, I wish I had written that. But I heard it explained this way. It's kind of like you are in a national park. How many of you love our national parks, right? So beautiful. Some of you are like, I hate the outdoors. It's all right, we'll pray for you. <laughs> it's like you're in a national park, and you're at the ranger station, and you're like, listen, I need to get to the other side of the park to my home. And some people think that it, as a metaphor for spirituality is you're trying to cross, and you have your, your goal, and you have the home in mind. Some people say, well, yeah, following Christ is kind of like they give you a map, and you, they say, look, everything in this map is correct. And if you follow this map, everything's right in it. It's perfect. It will lead you exactly where you want to go. So just follow the map, and you will make it. Which sounds great, unless you don't really know what the things in the map mean. It doesn't matter how perfect it is if you don't understand it, right? And, it, and also, you're going to make mistakes, right? And some people say, well, it's an issue of will. And actually what happens is you get in the truck with a ranger and the ranger drives you over. And that really determines whether you are going to make it or not. It's all up to whether the ranger was going to drive you to that location or not. And there's some people who are going to get driven over there and some people who are not going to get driven over there. And that's entirely up to the ranger. I think the example that it, it explains it better is more like as you're looking to get to your home across the park, 
the ranger gets into the truck with you as you're driving and is holding the map and is directing and instructing and teaching and guiding according to the truth in the map, but is present with you. And you can choose whether to listen to him or not, whether to follow his leading or not, whether to read the map or not, whether to be directed by it or not. You, you can make that choice to turn to him and be guided by him. He doesn't force you to turn. He doesn't force you to brake. It's not one of those uh, driver's test cars that has the, the pedal on both sides, right? You have will over your life and over the direction and where you're going, but you have been given the choice to turn and listen to the one who knows and who has given the word that knows as well. That's the presence of God who's with us. See, it's not just about him saying, go do this, do it perfectly, don't make mistakes. It's not just about him saying, well, I've already determined whether you make it or not, so don't worry. It is about living in relationship with the one who knows and operating according to the word that he's given. Are you with me? Using metaphors for free will and the presence of God is always, I mean, they break down eventually, so give me grace there, right? But I'm just saying this to make the point of God is not calling them just to walk a trail, just to say, here's the law. He's saying, the law has a point. Obedience to me has a point because there's a way of life I want you to live. There's an eternity I want you to step into. There's a, there's a hope and a future that I want for you. And that's what God's presence does. God's presence is, to, is twofold in the sense that it brings hope for the future and peace today. Let me say that again. God's presence brings hope for the future and peace for today. See, God knows the road for Israel is going to be difficult, right? It's not like their road into the promised land was easy, right? They, they have already experienced an issue with this with the spies who said in the first time, it's way too hard, we're not going to do that. They didn't get, get less giant-ish of 40 years of genetic isolation, right? They're still giants, they didn't shrink. Scripture doesn't tell us that. So still giant people and giant walls. But now, instead of coming up from the south, they're crossing over at a flood stage river. And again, I know we don't have that situation as much here. But the few times we do have flood stage rivers, I think we would all agree that sounds difficult, right? God knows it's going to be difficult. But God says to Israel, follow my presence and I'll show you where to go. Follow me, and I'll show you how to live. I'm not just going to show you the path to walk. I'm going to show you where to go physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. I'm going to, in every part of life, f show you as you follow me. And even at Banner, right? At Banner Church, the path that we've chosen is not an easy path. And thank goodness, because no one ever saw anything great on the easy path. But the reality of, of operating as a church in a, in a world that is hostile to the truth is very real. Hope you recognize that, right? The, the reality of, of even the life of your pastors as we speak truth. And uh, let's say sometimes it's not received with positivity. <laughs> a nice way of saying that. The reality of understanding that we are in transition as a church, the reality of, of stepping out and meeting our community and loving them, right? It's not a it's not an easy road to move and, and build and have that kind of faith. And we understand that. Man, in your personal life, right? The Lord sees, right? You, life has not been easy either. 
Maybe some of you just even emotionally, physically, like you feel like somehow even though uh, COVID popped off three years ago, you still have not found your new rhythm, right? It's like you don't really understand the rhythm of the world now and how you operate in it. Some of you, maybe you're coming from a season of fatigue, maybe loss. The road ahead is, looks difficult. My family, we came out of a season of, of profound loss. Maybe it's finances. Maybe you're looking at the road of finances. Maybe you're, you're looking at the road of health. I, I just want to say, like, th there's no easy answer to those things, but there is the presence of God. And I want to encourage you that the presence of God as you follow the Lord gives you hope and it gives you peace. Maybe you're here, you're unsure of your future. Maybe you're like, how? You ever ask that question all the time of your future? How? How will I get there? How will I do that? How will I pay this? How will I find them? How will I need this? How will I achieve that? How will I, right? And I want to encourage you. I'm sure Israel asked those questions too. How will we cross here? How will we cross this thing? How will we take that city? How will we establish like a government? That would have been my question. Like, how are we going to establish like a, how is that going to work? How are we going to plow fields? We haven't plowed fields in 40 years. So never for this generation. How are we going to do this? But what God is encouraging his people, and I think he's encouraging us, is stop stressing on the how and start focusing on the who. Who am I following? Who is leading me? Who am I seeking after? This is the instructions Joshua gave him. Are you still with me this morning? Joshua 3, 5. Just jump there real quick in your Bible. It says, Joshua said to the people, I feel like it was like an encouragement in this moment. He said to them, consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Let me give you something that I've learned as I read the Word of God. Preparation precedes the promise. It's a lot of peas, but that's how it locked into my brain. I'm sorry. Preparation always precedes the promise. Joshua said, Israel, it's time to prepare like I prepared for my kid. Joshua was saying, it's time to prepare for the things of God. It's time. It's not only time for the things of God. It's time, not only time for the promise. It's time to prepare to step into the promise. Do you know the Bible is just full of examples of people preparing for the things of God? In Exodus 19, Moses, before he gives the Ten Commandments, God tells the people, he says, listen, you need to consecrate yourselves and prepare for the word of God. This is going to kind of mess you up. You need to get ready for it. Consecrate yourselves. Prepare for the word of God. In Isaiah 40, the prophet says, prepare the way in the desert, right? Prepare the way. Make the, make the valleys raise and the hills low. Prepare the way for the king, for the Messiah. And then John the Baptist, when he comes and he speaks, he echoes the same. Isaiah 40, and he says, prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare for the Messiah. That's why they were baptizing people, because they were preparing for the Messiah. They were getting ready for Jesus. And as we've learned about Jesus, the people who were not ready were not receptive. It's not that they didn't love the Lord. It's just they were not prepared for him. They were not prepared to hear him. They were not prepared for his like wild, amazing, incredible nature. They weren't prepared for him to heal lepers. They weren't prepared for him to hang out with prostitutes. They were just not prepared for that. And John's like, prepare. When Jesus fasted for 40 days, he prepared. He prepared for his ministry. At Jesus' ascension, when he went to heaven, he told his disciples, prepare. Go into the upper room. Don't just say, we want you, Holy Spirit. He said, prepare. Go in. And moment after moment after moment, seek the Spirit. Are you with me? 
Paul told Timothy, if you want to be a vessel of honor, you need to cleanse yourself from worldly things and you need to prepare your heart to be a vessel of honor. See, before God does something with his people, he asks them to prepare. Verse 5, he says, prepare for wonders. God wants your heart ready for what he wants to do. An unprepared heart usually encounters the move of God and gets scared and gets uncomfortable. Let's be honest. Man, I don't know, maybe you haven't been around church long enough to see this, but I feel like I, I just passed 15 years of full-time ministry, and I would say one of the things I've learned is God will begin to move, and then all of a sudden people will get upset and afraid. They begin to tell you what their limits are. They'll come into your tradition as a church and begin to want to define it for you and tell you what, you know, what the Spirit can and can't do. And I'm like, I'm just going to do whatever the Spirit says. But often it's because our hearts aren't ready. They've been wounded or they're exhausted or they're upset or they're hardened. And the reality is we need to seek the Lord and say, prepare our hearts. God, get me ready. Help me to get ready for what you're doing. So how do we prepare? Well, Joshua gives some good advice and the word of God gives obviously the clearest wisdom. He says, consecrate yourself. Somebody say consecrate. It's a good word. The word consecrate is holy, set apart, sanctified. The word there, kadash, is the same word, kadash, with an O instead of an A-W. Where the angels are gathered around the throne, and they begin to sing holy, holy, holy. It's the same word, set apart, sanctified, holy. He says, make yourself holy. Leviticus 11, God told his people, he said, For I'm the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourself with any swarming thing that crawls the ground. And he lists all these different things. He says, prepare your heart, be holy as I'm holy. And we're, then we read in the New Testament, Peter says, he quotes it, he says, be holy as God is holy. See, consecration is so important. I know sometimes these words, consecration, repentance, like they feel weird because sometimes the, the stirring up and confessing of the ways we fall short has been used as a tool of judgment against you. But that is not what God means here. Please stay with me on this thought. That's not what God means here. When we say consecrate, it means you in your heart participate in the work of removing all that would contaminate this beautiful, incredible relationship with God you're created to have. He says, be a part of it. See, he says, consecrate yourselves, not be consecrated by God. He's saying, consecrate yourselves. It's not just something God does to us. Though we, are, though we are redeemed by him and brought in by him and sanctified by him, it's something that we're called to participate in. See, to be prepared, we have to be consecrated, but it's a two-part action. We have to repent and we have to turn. See, there's that word I told you, repent. That's another word that's been used to, to stir up as an act of judgment, but really it's an act of freedom. See, when we repent of sin, we confess it before the Lord and before others. There's so much freedom in that. You've ever been in a moment where people are just being honest and vulnerable in their sin? They're saying, I'm struggling with this. That's why I like the men's camping trip. Because you just have this option in a, in a, this is why I like small groups. You have this option in a small group to say, hey man, I'm really struggling with this. You're probably not going to stand up right now and confess your sin before everyone. Like, I don't think we have the rental time for that. We'd run out of time. But there needs to be that space. That's why prayer, you need that space because we need, to, we need to lay it before so that it comes off our shoulders as a burden, right? 
that can be a hard thing to do if that's been used against you in the past. But I can just tell you, like, that's not going to be used against you here. We're about freedom. Right? Our mission is that all people would experience the freedom and the power of a new life in Jesus Christ. But not only do you repent, you just go up and pray and pray and tell them and tell people, but you turn. Somebody say turn. You change your life. You alter course. You alter your direction. Man, when John the Baptist is preparing the way in Luke chapter 3, people say, what shall we do? And he says, let the one who has two tunics share with the one who has none, right? Don't be materialistic. Care about people. Do something different than culture does. He says, tax collectors, don't cheat at business. Have integrity in your job. Turn from the lawless business practice of the world around you, the, the biting and the clawing and the fighting. He says, soldiers, don't make false accusations. He says, be content, be honest. See, for John, for Joshua, in the word of God, preparing the way means getting right with God and others. To consecrate your life, to align your life with God in obedience. And that's really what it is. If we want to consecrate our life, like Joshua said, if we want to begin to prepare for what God has, then we need to look at our life and reject false beliefs. We need to stop quarreling. We need to turn from lustful pursuits. We need to turn from the things that would try to poison our relationship with God. And that's what it is. When it says consecrate, it says remove the things that are poisoning this beautiful, life-changing, flourishing relationship with God you're supposed to have. You're not poisoning him, you're poisoning you. The question is like, how much poison do I want to allow in the water? Like how dirty of water would I drink in my soul? And I know this might not get the amen response, <laughs> but we have to address the sin that contaminates our relationship with God. A.W. Tozer said, have you noticed how much praying for revival has been going on of late and how little revival has resulted? I believe the problem is that we've been trying to substitute praying for obeying and simply, and it simply will not work. It says we've been trying to pray, God send a revival, but the first thing we need is pray is God help us to obey and to follow you with our heart. To not only rem remove what contaminates, but to pursue what is God. See, this is where I think church can get a little odd because churches and pastors will get up and preach against what you can watch and what you can listen to, like what musicians, right? I, I grew up in the youth era of like bringing your CDs to youth ministry and they would burn them. They'd set them on fire. I can just tell you, every kid I know that did that, straight back to the devil. <laughs> and me too for a while, right? Uh, because it... it it's missing something. The same reason Israel missed it in the law, right? It's like, what's the point? Why are we doing this? I agree, there's a lot of evil music that I, right? There's a lot of evil shows. But if I come to you and I say, hey, don't watch this show, what I found is people just get incredibly defensive and hurt and offended. And so at the end of the day, I don't care what you watch. I don't have your soul. But it does matter. It matters what you do. It matters what you listen to. It matters what you engage in. But the reason we don't, we wouldn't engage, is not because the pastor is going to stand up and say, don't listen to that. Don't watch that. It's because we say, you know what, Lord, I want to pursue your righteousness. Reveal to me in my life, for myself, reveal to me the ways that would try to come in and poison that and, and separate and contaminate this beautiful relationship I have with you. Reveal it to me. Reveal it to me. Because I want to pursue 
holiness. I want to pursue what you have in my life. But notice it says consecrate yourselves, not other people. It's not like consecrate everybody else in Israel for them. Really let them know how they need to be consecrated. Really dig in there because you're a truth speaker. We can still speak the truth. Sure, advocate for truth. I just learned to pick your punches with that. But what exists in this way is to consecrate yourself. I think if the church was worried about consecrating ourselves, we wouldn't even have enough time to worry about consecrating other people. There's enough to work on right here in our life, in our marriages, in our homes. There's enough right here to work on. I just want to encourage you, like, that's what God has invited you into, to, per to pursue holiness and to reject worldliness. 2 Corinthians 7, he says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves of every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Don't you love that? Bringing holiness to completion. Did you know a goal of life is holiness? And that sounds weird because we live in a culture that hates purity. We fight it in different avenues. You fight it by, you know, you're like, I'm going to boycott Target, and I'm going to boycott this, and I'm going to, right? I, I understand. That's ridiculous. But the, the bigger, grander battle that we're fighting is one for holiness. I hope you understand that. We're fighting a grander battle for holiness. And sometimes we get distracted in the digits, but we miss the bigger battle, which is for holiness, that we should all be pursuing with our life. Amen? Our goal is holiness, to have a pure heart. And, and in culture, they would say that purity is restriction. But that's because they don't understand. And maybe you're here and you're new to this understanding. So let me give you a window. Purity is not a restriction. It's freedom. Because you're choosing to not be a slave to your flesh and the world, and you're choosing to being freed into the fullness of what God has. That a pure heart is actually freedom for your soul. It's amazing, right? See, when your mind is clouded by unrighteousness, you think, well, living, that's living, that's really pursuing, that's living to the fullest. And I'm just going to tell you right now, it's not. When you have a clean heart and you have truly open eyes, you become aware of God's presence and you become ready for him to move and you see the expression of his, of his beauty and his goodness and his fullness and his freedom in every part of life and your day becomes a reflection on God's active presence in the way that you live. And there's nothing better than to end a day not thinking, did I get what I needed to satisfy myself, but to think instead, did I see God's presence manifest in my day in a life-changing way? Whether I'm sitting at my desk, whether I'm sitting with my kids, whether I'm in the room and the baby's crying, right, whatever it might be, whether I'm traveling, whether I'm fighting fires, whatever that might be for you, a pure-hearted life becomes a life reflecting on God's presence because you're ready for him to move, because your life is consecrated. You're ready for what he does. And can I tell you, God does. He does move. He moves. He's moving. Go back to verse 5. It says, for the Lord, it says, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. It says, consecrate yourself. Get your heart ready. Remove everything that would restrict it. Get ready because God's going to do wonders tomorrow. Can I encourage you, church? Prepare for wonders. Prepare your life for wonders. God said, Israel, you're going to see things you couldn't even imagine. Like, you're going to see things that you couldn't even dream of. He said, prepare for that. You're not just preparing to, like, not get in trouble from Jesus, right? 
I mean, I, I guess you could face it that way. That's not as fun, personally. It says, prepare for the good things of God. Prepare for what I'm going to do. Prepare for what I can do. Because the life of following Christ is exciting. It's difficult, and it's joyful. It's narrow, and it's incredible. God wants to work miracles. God does work miracles, and God is working miracles. He invites his children. He invites us. He says, consecrate yourselves. Draw near. Engage in what I have. Don't let anything distract you from what I have. Church, God wants to do great things through his people. Amen? He always has. He always has, and he always does. But here at this church, I believe that he, he longs to move. But he invites us to prepare our hearts, to get ready, to consecrate our hearts. Famous football coach Vince Lombardi. I mean, you know who Vince Lombardi is? Famous. And if you don't know football, you probably have heard that name. He said, the will to win is not nearly as important as the will to prepare to win. So the will to win is not nearly as important as the will to prepare to win. There's many who want to win, but it doesn't mean you'll win, right? Right, every, every football team, right? Every team in the NFL wants to win, except maybe a few. <laughs> they want those draft picks. The rest of them, they want to win. Even if they're bad, they want to win, right? Because it's full of people who want to win. It's full of guys who really, really want to win. Even if you're on a bad team, you're like, I still want to win. Losing is not fun. I want to win. And so every team might have the will and the belief to win. But the reality is when you get in the fourth quarter, you'll know who had the will to prepare to win. It becomes abundantly clear. So, well, they're a fourth quarter team, maybe, or they're just the team that had the will to prepare so they can go farther. They were ready for it. They were ready to go into the deep in boxing, right? They're, they're, they say they get drugged into the deep, into the deep rounds. And who prepared? Who practiced? Who was ready? Who ran the extra mile? Who was, who was prepared physically, mentally? They were ready to go the distance. They were ready to fight the good fight, but not just having the will. Like, I want to fight the good fight. I want to win. But they had the will to prepare to win. Can I tell you that's more important See, church, all around America, I think there's churches showing up with the will for God to do something. We are, right? We show up with the will for God to do something. They might even pray, God, send revival. God, bring people. God, move. But the question is not, will you have the will on Sunday? The question is, do I have the will to prepare during the week for what I believe God's going to do on Sunday? Am I studying his word? Am I praying? When I, am I preparing a message Am I in the Word of God? Am I, speak, am I seeking the Spirit's leading for the service? Am I keeping my life free from sin, or am I repenting of my sin before the Lord so I can be a vessel of the Spirit's work? I've heard it said, the will to see God work is not as important as the will to prepare to see God work. Church, for us today, the will to see God work, I want God to work in my family, is not as important as the will to prepare to see God to work. I will prepare my heart for God to work in my family. I believe God wants to do something special in this church. I believe that we're seeing a stirring, and we're hearing a calling, and I believe people are starting to step up. There's a hunger here. I hope you can sense. Can you sense it? 
There's a hunger in the church of God. I can see it in you. I can see that longing. Some of you today, God wants to use you in a special way, but the, it's not just going to happen. You have to prepare. Man, you guys can come up. I mean, I meet with ministers. A lot of, a lot of them will meet with me and say, uh, how did you get, you know, to where you are? Because my road's unique, and I look different. And so they're like, how do you have hand tattoos and pastor a church? And <laughs> so I meet with young guys, and, and what I've noticed is there's just this desire. I want to minister. I want to see God move. And I'm like, what are you doing to prepare? They're like, I'm just waiting on the Lord. And I believe waiting on the Lord in prayer is amazing. You should wait on the Lord in prayer every day. But those times where you're waiting on the Lord also includes some active participation in seeking Him and His glory and His goodness and in His Word. Where we begin to consecrate ourselves and prepare our heart for the wonders of God. We're not just waiting around like, yeah, I'm just going to pray. God's going to move. God's going to move. God's going to move. And He's saying, are you prepared? Are you ready? I wonder how many churches God started moving because they asked and they didn't like it. I can name a few where God began to move and the people said, whoa, hold on, that's not what we meant. We meant do something we can control, but just with more people and a nicer kids' church. Uh, like we want more colorful displays and like uh, we want, you know, a, a youth worship band. That's what we mean. And God's like, wait, I thought we were gonna shake this thing up. I thought some mess was gonna start coming out. Well, I wasn't really prepared for that. I kind of just wanted a greater functional enterprise. Can I tell you, God's not going to do that anymore. I think he's done with that. I think he always was. I just think we had enough of a CEO model to make it. But God's over that. <laughs> the blessing for us is that God's over that. Because I believe that God wants to do something in this church. And I think he's inviting us, man, prepare your heart. He's like, I'm going to do something. Prepare your heart. Get ready. Get ready, Banner Church. Get ready. He says, I've seen your faithfulness. I've seen, I've heard your prayers. But it's almost like there, there's this waiting and this waiting and this waiting and we lose the expectation that it's going to happen. He says, it's going to happen, but you got to get ready. We got to get our hearts ready. Not your neighbor's heart ready. Not even your spouse's heart ready, right? But our heart. Is my heart ready? Is my heart ready? And that's been my prayer this week. Lord, make, help us get ready. Help us get ready. Help me get ready. Make my heart ready. Make my heart ready. Ready my heart for you to move. God, take away anything that's not from you. Like, I'm not going to justify anything. You just, like, get in there. Like David said, search my heart, oh God. Find every way within me, any wicked way, and remove it. Cleanse me. That's what I want to do before the Lord. God, just, it's all yours, my whole heart. And he says, great. Receive from me my mercy and my grace. Receive from me the Spirit. Receive from me renewal. We say, yes, God, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Some of you, you just need to almost shift your heart today. Just be able to say, I'm ready. God, I'm ready. God, I've been weary, but I'm ready now. Make me ready. God, I've, I've been hurt. I've been hurt, but I'm ready. God, I'm a little scared. I'm ready. God, I don't know what the future holds, but I'm ready. God, I'm uncertain. God, I'm still learning. I'm still learning. Like we're practicing the prophetic here. We're trying to operate together and really listen to God and share what he's saying. I say, oh, I'm still learning, but I'm ready. I say, I feel unworthy, 
I feel like I, I shouldn't be the person. Someone else should be ready and I'll just follow what they do. But he's saying, no, you get ready. Get your heart ready. And this message was supposed to be a part of another message about crossing the Jordan. It was all going to be one thing, but I just felt like we had to separate them because I feel like God's just saying this morning, it's time to get ready, to get your heart ready. Would you stand with me this morning? Church, I just want to say before we pray that I, I really love you. I think one of the hard, it's hard for me sometimes to be up here. I just like want to be with my friends sitting with you, just like praying together because you guys are so important to Katie and my, myself. And as we respond to the word of God, I just, I just think there's no hierarchy in response to the word of God. Like we're all responding together. We're saying, God, make my heart ready for what you want to do. Like we're friends here. We're brothers and sisters here. And at some scale, eventually the church stops feeling that way and it can kind of shift and it feels more just like watching and listening. But we're here together. We're brothers and sisters. Some of my very deep friends, you guys are here. And I want to encourage you. I really, when I say this, I'm not saying it because I had to come up with a sermon for this week. <laughs> it's like, well, it was on the calendar. I had to write it. I do this because I, I love you. You're my friends and my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I believe that God's going to do something great. Maybe you're new here. You're still part of the brotherhood of believers. <laughs> and it's, it's now seven years that we, we've been doing this. And I think through this month that I, that I quit my job at a really successful church <laughs> and moved here without any job, but with my friends. And we said, we're going to do this. But I think there's a season where God's making our hearts ready again because he wants to do something. For you, he's making your heart ready again. Maybe that's just ready to step into community. I don't know what it is, but I just want you to hear that this response comes out of a posture of gentleness. I know I'm taking time, but an attitude of gentleness because I love you. As your pastor, I care for you. And I wouldn't be here if I was just making that up. This job is way too hard. I believe in you. So here's what I want you to do. I just want to bow your head with me in this moment. The band has this great song they're going to sing, and I'm going to invite you into a moment of response. Because I believe we all kind of prepare a little different, right? There's the, the packing early, there's the packing late. And I believe even right now, some of you are going to respond different. So there's some, some ways I'm going to invite you and encourage you to respond. One of them is to respond in worship to just begin to worship the Lord and invite him in song, invite him in your words, the fruit of your lips, as the scripture says, to begin to confess with your mouth that he's Lord and invite him into that moment and just say, God, would you ready my heart? Consecrate my heart, search my heart. Some of you, there's a physical posture that needs to happen today where you need to step out of your seat and you need to come forward to the altar. And we call it the altar because it's a place of sacrifice. And you just need to come up in response and say, Jesus, I give you everything. Would you make my heart ready? Or maybe it's a step of boldness where you're stepping out and saying, look, God, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready, Lord. I feel like I've been on the sideline, but I'm ready. Put me in, coach. I'm ready. And maybe for you, there's something very specific you need prayer for today. 
Our prayer team is going to be right up here where they normally are. And as we respond in worship, I'm just going to release you in just a second to worship, to come to the altar. Some of you, you need that. You need that stirring or to come right up and receive prayer. So if you're here and you're saying, God, would you make my heart ready? Would you just lift your hands? I want to pray for you, and then I'm going to release you right now. God, I pray right now in this place, make our hearts ready in the name of Jesus. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we just invite you right now to move upon every heart. We say, search our hearts, oh God, right now. Make us ready in the name of Jesus. Make us ready for what you have. We know you have good things for this church. We know you're calling us out right now that we're going to cross over into a new space, into a new territory. But right now, God, I believe you're saying, would you get ready, consecrate yourself. So we say, here I am, God, I'm ready for you. Or here I am, God, make me ready consecrate my heart right now in the name of Jesus. Just begin to invite him. I release you right now, wherever you are. If you want to worship, if you want to come up and you're saying, God, make me ready, or God, I'm ready, or God, I need to leave some things, would you just come forward right now to the altar? Would you worship at your seat, or would you come forward and be prayed for in the name of Jesus? Let's worship together. Calling on the God of Jacob Whose love endures through generations I know that you will keep your covenant I'm calling on the God of Moses The one who opened up the ocean I need you now to do the same